0: The, the first thing we want to emphasize is that um, when, we speak about, when we're speaking about this, uh, we, are, we are assuming a number of things. Um, and obviously, for all of us, our circumstances are different. But ideally, when we're caring for people, we want to do it as part of a group of other people. Um, bearing fruit by yourself is hard it's not impossible. Okay. But it's difficult. It's a lot easier to do it with others. Um, you also pay a price doing it with others because <clears throat> you get your rough edges chopped off and they chop off your rough, rough edges. And so you have uh, fun that way, but, um, being an independent contractor is not a long-term way to go in terms of bearing fruit. It's not the way of longevity. Um, And I can tell you that from my own personal painful experience, it's just not, not a good way to go. Um, It's exhausting. And eventually it's very easy to burn out. Um, So when we're caring for people, when we're considering um, how to care for them in the best way, presenting the truth to them, um, the best is if we can do so with other people we labor and pray together concerning the ones that we're that we're caring for. Um if we could put a banner over this session, um it might be uh shepherding according to God. That that phrase to shepherd according to God. And what we mean by that is every person is different. So Uh, the way that you will uh, nourish and cherish me is not the same way you will nourish, nourish and cherish Zizwe or Trevor or Kieran or Teppo or any of the other, uh, any of you who are on here. Um, We're all different. And so we have to realize that what may work with one person may not work with another person. And that's perfectly okay. Uh, And that's why actually it's really helpful to have other people as we, um, as we are caring for the ones the Lord has given us Uh, because we're not all inclusive. And sometimes the Lord gives you somebody and you just realize, I don't know how to care for this person, but there's someone else who does. And so together you're able to render them the care that they need, but realizing every person is different. So, We have to be careful to not look for the way to care for everybody. There is no the way. Um, Everyone has their own way in order to to be cared for. Um, And so it's our responsibility, along with the ones we are praying with and coordinating with, to discover how to shepherd the people the Lord has given us. So what we're going to be getting into today is just principles. And these principles will need to be applied according to whatever situation you're in. So they're they're not intended and they're not being presented as methods to be duplicated or promoted. These are just principles to be applied according to the situation that we're in. And so, as we said at the beginning, we are gonna be looking at three main categories and today, just two believers and uh what we would call church kids and we'll define what we mean by church kids later on but so now uh i think i'm going to hand it over to trevor who's gonna um start us off with
1: believers hold on let me let me do the uh you see it do you see
0: it we can see it you know and I should just say, it's really good to be a believer. If you're a believer, praise the Lord. Yeah, it means faith has been infused into you.
1: It's wonderful to be a believer. Um, okay, sorry, I'm just going to setting up the screen here because it, it does this really weird thing that nobody knows unless you've shared your screen before. Um, okay, so at this point, this is... I didn't wanna start this off in a really heavy way, um, but unfortunately this is kind of heavy. So I apologize in advance if it's too much, but this helps me in my attitude towards believers. And I think our attitude a lot of times when we when we wanna share something uh, with someone, uh, we really take the position we, we take the wrong position. We take the position of a teacher and not a student. And that inwardly changes our whole attitude towards the person. Okay. Uh, we're going to get more into this along the way. But I want to show you guys this one verse that's very, uh, it kind of always grounds me back to reality and what we have. Um, okay. So, who we go? Sorry. Who do we got? We got... Uh, let me just okay. okay bro I I'm I'm scared to say your name now it's so uncomfortable I, 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 I hate it too can you say it again bro apple well another thing that happens guys is when I share my screen everybody's names disappear so I can't actually like I don't anyway <laughs> okay so bro can you can you read for me um, <clears throat> Matthew 4? 5, Matthew five4 um, yeah
2: Blessed are those who moan, for they shall be comforted.
1: Okay. Now, I'm not saying that this verse doesn't have to do with with losing a family member, or it doesn't have to do with, with uh, you know, you go through a horrible breakup or something. I, I'm not, you know, they're, blessed are those who mourn, okay? But in the context of this, what it's really talking about is We need, we need to mourn the condition of God's people. That is, that is in the church life and outside. Um, That is anybody who um, is a believer and uh, the condition of the world. We need, we need to mourn the condition of unbelievers. Um, Blessed are those who mourn. And so I wanted to start off with this because a lot of times, um, a lot of times we can have an attitude where we think we're so special. I'm coming to you because I have all the quote riches. Um, and and by the way, can I can I just I, I do want to make a plug on using this word. Okay, I'm highly aware of what we have. I don't know a, a sentence you can use in the context of the English language where you can say riches. Okay. Um, it's it's a very strange word to use around people. So I, I'm aware it's a in, it's in Ephesians. I, I know the verse, but maybe refrain from using that. But anyway, the point is, I realize we have it. Okay, we have Joseph's storehouse, we have all this stuff, and we want to feed people. Okay, now what what I want to go to next, bro, is can we can you read this verse? It's it's kind of the same context. It's Luke six twenty one. Can you read? Can you read that one? Oh, I, yeah. Just, just stay unmuted, bro. Okay, no problem.
2: Uh, Luke six twenty one. Yeah. Blessed are those who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who weep now, for you shall
1: laugh. Okay, bro. Can I ask you a little bit about your your background? I mean, this this verses say, blessed are those who hunger. Okay. Right. Uh, this is spiritual hunger, right? Yeah. They're they're hungering. So I'm. I, can I ask you, like, in your uh, upbringing, were you like what? Just give me a quick thirty seconds. You know, like, what was your upbringing? My upbringing um, from a from a Christian standpoint, like, or atheist uh, or Christian family, or what? What were we talking about? I, not a Christian family. No, uh, not atheist
2: okay. either. Oh, man, interesting. I'm I, literally just three years ago. I just believed
1: so. <laughs> wow, bro. You were just walking down the street and it just hit you like a bolt of lightning. I just believed that's I'm, okay. So the thing, the thing is, bro, I don't know about you. Okay. Um, I don't know any more than you just told me, but my upbringing, my upbringing was, uh, you know, my mom is a, is a pastor's kid. And we, we were really, man, we were given, fire and brimstone. Okay. Like I was not in a bad way, but anyway, my mom got me saved in a very unique way. Um, I think i shared it before, but I, 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 touched the stove and then my mom just told me, anyway, you don't want to do that for eternity. Right. And then I was like, Oh, what do I do? Anyway. So I was five and, and that's how I got saved it was my mom led me to the Lord after I got burned um, physically. And so, okay, this is the thing. I realized after coming into the church life, I realized that there's a, there's a huge, huge issue amongst Christianity. And what I'm talking about is denominations, okay? Mm. And the huge issue is they are all starving to death. Okay, They're starving to death. And what I mean by that, and by the way, there's people in the church life that are starving to death. I mean, they're like basically looking at Joseph's storehouse and they're not eating. Okay. So I, I'm, I'm just saying, but in general, there's, there's a reason why in Christianity and in Christian circles, there's a famous book that will come out. And then they will literally sell millions of these books. Millions. Okay. Uh, You know, some, some that you might've heard of is like heaven by Randy Alcorn or the case books by Lee Probel, or crazy love by Francis Chan or the purpose-driven life by Rick Warren. Anytime one of these books hits the market, it's like, it's like everybody just flocks to it and starts reading it. Okay. Why? Why? The reason is, is because they're starving. They're starving. Okay. And so this is, I, I, the reason we're hitting this first, the reason we're hitting this first is I, I feel like a lot of times when I'm talking to saints or I hear them talking, okay. I make the same mistake. Sometimes, sometimes we treat them like they're the enemy. Sometimes we treat them like they're an adversary. Sometimes we treat them like they're an idiot. Okay. Okay. Sometimes uh, we're very condescending. Okay. There, there's a lot of different ways that our attitude, before we even start this, okay, our attitude matters. Our attitude matters. And the person that's receiving from us can, can get our tone a lot more than they get what we're saying. Okay. I can say, I can say, I love you to my wife in a very loving way. I can also say, I love you in a very, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like, whoa, bro. Like, I don't know what your problem is, you know? Okay. So I'm saying the same thing, but it comes out differently. And so we need to always watch our attitude and our tone. Okay. I have a little story for you. And this, this story has to do with a photographer that went to South Sudan in 1993. And his name was Kevin Carter. And he was touring South Sudan. And he ended up taking a picture of a child outside of a village. Okay. And he came back to the United States and he, he sold this photo to the New York Times and the New York Times published it. And it literally became a world renowned photo in a day. Okay. It shocked the entire, the entire world, okay? Now this photo, I have this photo on my computer. I have it on my phone. And the reason why I have this on my phone and my computer is to always remind me constantly the condition that people are in. And I'm going to show this photo to you. Have you seen this photo before, bro? No. Have you heard of it? Okay. This is the photo. Okay. this This is an African child in Sudan that is starving to death. And there's a vulture sitting there waiting for it to die. Okay. It's a very moving photograph. There's a reason why it became very famous very quickly. The reason why I have this on my phone and my computer is so that I am always reminded. How, how heartless of a person would you have to be to go to this child and start talking down to them? Mm. Do you understand what I mean? Mm. Start, start talking to them like, oh, I know better than you. Okay, who, who in their right mind would do that? So the the fact of the matter is we need to be reminded all the time that even if this person is attacking me, even if this person is coming at me, they're starving to death, okay? So the person, even though I'm right, maybe I'm right, and they're attacking something, I need to learn to back off because the the point is to save souls. The point is to save souls, right? The point is not to be right. We don't want to be right all the time. Okay, I wanted to start off with this just so we can get in the right mindset. I'm sorry if it was heavy, but I, I hope I hope this helps all of you a little bit and this is, this is kind of my heart. People are hungry, they're starving to death, and we need to go to humanity and mourn their condition. We need to be before the Lord and mourn over the fact that these people are starving, spiritually starving. okay? At this point, Promise, I'm not going to do anything else super heavy. At this point, I'm going to hand it off to Nathaniel, and he's going to start showing us some verses on how we need to look at this generation and how to approach them.
0: Yeah. So, can we go to Luke seven thirty-one? And let's see. Maybe Seesway, can we get you to read that for us?
3: And Jesus said, to what then shall I liken the men of this generation? And what are they like?
0: Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I like this verse because um, here the Lord is asking. He's considering what kind of people are, are the men of this generation. And um, we, we should have the same consideration. Um, actually every generation is different and so um you know generally from a global standpoint you have what are called um the uh you have the silent generation you have generation or you have the silent generation you have baby boomers then you have generation x then you, have genera- then you have generation Y or millennials, and then you have generation Z. And then um, little kids who are like two years old now are generation alpha. <clears throat> so that's uh, kind of uh, what people who study generations call them. Uh, but every generation has its own characteristics. And so we, we have to consider as we are speaking to people this is actually something that we should bear in mind. So for example, um, I'm what in what they would call the millennial generation. And lots of things have been written about my generation. Um, and there are, are, are many defining moments. One of the most defining moments, if um, <clears throat> you were a millennial in the United States, then one of the most defining moments was the 2000 and one terror attacks where the two planes went into the World Trade Center building. Um, Another huge moment was the uh, worldwide uh, uh, global financial crisis in 2008. Um, These were all things that really impacted the psychology of, of my generation. Um, For Generation Z, those who are kind of born 1995 to 2015, thereabouts, um, for them, uh, a really, I mean, actually, probably the most defining moment will be um, the COVID pandemic. Um, In a sense, you could say, uh, actually, the 2008 financial crisis was a big deal because they were aware of that. But then now, as many of them are starting university, they are starting university with COVID-19. And so uh, these are all things we need to take into account as we consider, um, because actually um, these kind of uh, global events shape the psychology and consciousness of, of generations in ways that, of course, it, it has affected us, but uh, we are older, and so it affects us in different ways. Um, for, for, for many young people, the first year of university that they really, really looked forward to has been spent either at home or crammed up in a dorm room. Um, that's going to have an impact, whether you like it or not. That's just going to impact how they view the world. It's going to impact how they interact with people. Um, so these are all things that we kind of have to consider as we as we are um, caring for people of different of different generations. Um, and then I just wanted to give an example, and uh, for this we're going to go to Acts uh, 17, and here. Paul is uh, on his journey, and he's in, um, he's in Athens. And I don't know about you all, but I love this. I just love this example because you see here uh, the way that he uh, deals with the people of Athens uh, to me is such a pattern of how to approach people, how to care for them, how to speak to them. Uh, It's just awesome. Okay. So, um, Cizway, we'll we'll keep going with you. Um, Can you read verse 16 for us?
3: And while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he beheld that the city was full of idols.
0: Okay, so we might focus on the fact that his spirit was provoked within him, which is true. But I want to draw your attention to the fact that he beheld. He, he took note of the fact that the city was full of idols. So he walked into Athens and he was paying attention to the atmosphere, to the environment. If I can use this word, he was paying attention to the soil, you know, in Mark 4, the human heart is likened to soil. And so, in every city, in every region, in every country, um, there's a certain kind of soil that's been influenced by many different things. And so, Paul, when he walked into Athens, one of the first things he realized is this soil. Is surrounded with an atmosphere of idolatry. It's full of idols. And the people here treasure these idols. So then uh, maybe we can then go on to verse um, uh, reverse, uh, 17
3: and 18. He reasoned therefore in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. And some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also confronted and said, and some said, what would this babbler wish to say? And others, he seems to be announcing, to be an announcer of foreign deities because he was announcing Jesus and the resurrection as the gospel.
0: Okay, so very interesting. (laughs)
4: Um,
0: You know, so he does what he usually does. So he goes into the synagogue and he's, you know, he's preaching the gospel to the Jews and then he goes to the marketplace. Okay. So I don't know, but to me, this is very striking. He, he didn't stay with the people that he knew. He went out into the city. He got to know people. He was talking to people. And as he was doing that, he started to pick things up and he, he met, epicurean and stoic philosophers and it's very interesting because these two traditions of philosophy are on the opposite ends of each other and so uh he's he there so he's being confronted by the jews he's being confronted by the philosophers and you know it seems like initially their view of him is he's a babbler you know he's announcing a foreign deity okay then it says, verse 19, go, go on to verse 19.
3: And they, and they took hold of him and led him to the aeropagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is, which is being spoken by you. And then verse 20. For you are bringing strange things to our ears, We intend to know therefore what these things mean. And 21, sorry. yeah. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners sojourning there spent their time on nothing other than telling or hearing something new.
0: Okay, so first of all, notice that in verse 19, they bring him to the Aeropagus And then they say, may we know what this new teaching is. So Paul was conducting himself in such a way that they were willing to listen to him. Uh, This is very, to me, very, very striking. You know, I mean, the way that we are with people oftentimes will determine whether or not they want to hear anything we have to say. Um, We may have the truth. We may be announcing Jesus as the resurrection, but our demeanor, our person uh, will determine whether or not they will listen to us. And so um, Paul realized, and, you know, it was just actually the Lord's arrangement, that the atmosphere in this city was that, well, okay, there's something new. We want to hear about it. And so... Paul has all of this going on in his consideration. And you, 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 we know that because of how he speaks to them. So um, let's go on now to verse uh, 22.
3: And Paul stood in the midst the of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that in every way you very much revere your deity.
0: There you go. So he starts out in a very polite way. Does he start out by saying, how dare you worship foreign gods? How dare you worship idols? How dare you worship you know, these objects that are not the true and living God? No, he doesn't. He's, he's, he, he comes to them according to how they are. He's not coming in with an axe to grind. He's not coming in uh, on a soapbox he just acknowledges the fact you definitely revere your deities okay now let's go on to verse 23
3: for while i was passing through and carefully observing the objects of your worship i even found
0: okay sorry we'll just pop pa- can we sorry just one second see can we pause here notice it says i was passing through and carefully observing the objects of your worship so Paul, as he's going through, he's not a disinterested observer, he's taking into account the culture, the background, the history, even the religious environment that the Athenians are in, but he, he's doing it because he has a particular purpose notice though he's not preaching the gospel here the same way he does in the other cities he's taking a very particular approach because he realizes these are very particular people okay sorry keep going from i've even found an altar
3: yeah i i even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown god what therefore you worship without knowing This I announce to you. I love this.
0: And, And also, Trevor, if at any point you want to jump in, feel free to. But I love this because you realize as Paul was going through and looking at all the idols, when he saw that one, he realized that's my entrance. That's my entrance to these people. To an unknown God real, You know, I mean, he was looking, how am I going to bring the Lord to these, uh, the to the people of Athens? And when he saw that, he realized that's it, to an unknown God. So what you don't know, I will now speak to you. Because he also realized the atmosphere there was, uh, they loved to speak about things that were new. And so... How, what better way to introduce the Lord Jesus to them to say, actually, in your midst, you have a a altar to an unknown God and you don't realize it, but that unknown God, (laughs) that's actually the God of the universe. Isn't that a little sacrilegious? You know what I mean? Like... He's using a, 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 an altar to an unknown God to talk about the Lord. I mean, you know, just think about it. That's, uh, I, I'm not sure if we would have the boldness to do that, okay? Paul doesn't stop there, okay? Now, he goes on in verse 24 and 25. He describes uh, more and more concerning, um, concerning uh, this God uh and then so 24, 25, 26, and 27, and then go to 28.
3: Okay. So for in him we live and move and are, even as some poets among you have sinned, for we are also his race.
0: Oh my goodness, Cizwe, do you realize he just quoted a heathen Greek wow. poet? He just quoted a heathen Greek poet in preaching the gospel. Isn't that mixture? Like what's going on there? Why what is he doing? You know wow. what I mean? And he and that's now in the scripture. Okay? The words of a heathen Greek poet are now in the Bible. All right. I, I think you understand to not take this application too far. But the point is, Paul, he, he was well-versed in Greek culture, in Greek history, to the point that when he was preaching the gospel, he could quote Greek poets. He could, and he, he was observant of the situation in Athens. He incorporated all these elements into his speaking to them. Because in his speaking, he's doing two things. On the one hand, he's presenting the truth. But on the other hand, he realizes he has to shepherd their mind. He has to cherish them. He has to cause their heart to be open to them. He can come in the way he does, you know, in Thessalonians and say, You need to turn from idols to serve the living and true God. But that's not what he does here. He comes in and comes right alongside them, right where they are. You like foreign deities? Well, you know what? You have this one to an unknown God. I'm going to tell you who he is. It's the Lord Jesus. Oh, and by the way, we have some, you know, his purpose is actually to make you the same as he is in life and in nature, but not in the Godhead. And your poets talk about the same thing because, you know, it goes on in verse 29. He says... For we are also his race, quoting the poets. And then he says, based on that, being then the race of God, okay? Being then the race of God, we ought not to suppose that what is divine is like gold or silver or stone, like an engraving of art and thought of man. So here now, he's turning things and he's exposing what it is that they rely on, he's exposing the idols. But notice he doesn't do it until verse 29. Okay. All right. And then in verse 30, he caused, cause, calls, uh, God charges men everywhere now to repent. 31, you have judgment. 32, the resurrection from the dead. Um, oh, no, no. Yeah, and they heard about it. So now what is the reaction? Some scoffed. Others said, we will hear you yet again concerning this. And then verse 34, but some men joined him and believed. And can we go down? Seizue, can you read verse 34 for us?
3: So, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also was Dionysius and Eropagite, and a woman named Damaris and others with them.
0: I, I've never met him, obviously, but I'm looking forward to meeting Dionysus, the Aeropagite, because why do you think it says that? It's because he was at the Aeropagus where Paul was speaking. So we know Paul's speaking reached at least one native Greek who was there. And I mean, he, he was identified as an Aeropagite. So as, You know, the point is, Paul's approach, the way Paul took, it's not that he compromised the gospel in any way. He didn't compromise the truth. But he came in in a very wise way, considering the environment that he was in. And he cooked, he cooked God's eternal purpose and presented it in a way that would open the hearts, open the minds of the people, and then minister Christ to them. So that's what we would like to learn how to do. That's what we're learning how to do all the time. We're learning how to shepherd people according to God. Okay, so I'm going to turn it back over to... Okay.
1: Yeah, Acts 17 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Um, okay, at this point, we're going to transition to some kind of more practical, uh, hopefully, more practical things. Um, so, um, let's see here. Depot, bro, Can I, I got it? I got it. Okay, yes, hey, bro, I got it. I have a you know, you're you're in. bible school right now i have a question for you bro i've got a trivia question (laughs) in the book character of the lord's worker what is the chapter title of chapter one i have not read the book it's okay bro it's okay it's okay um this is the, the the chapter title is actually being a good listener right okay I find this kind of astonishing because you'd think character of the Lord's worker, it would probably be like being most constituted in the word or, um, you know, being really good at serving people or, you know, all this, you know, I don't know. You could probably come up with a bunch of things. Good at getting people to read the Bible. It's actually bro. Chapter one is listening. And I think it's fascinating because it, why why do we need to be good listeners why um, yeah why, why would you say we need to be good
2: listeners um to i would say to really understand what people are
1: actually saying okay okay i agree with you i agree with you okay i have another trivia question for you bro um How old was Jesus when he was a boy and he ran away from his parents and got caught in the temple? Like a famous, famous little story. Not 12. He's 12. He's 12. Okay. So this is, this is okay, bro. I I'm getting excited about this. These two verses are literally two of my favorite verses in the Bible when it comes to how we approach people, I can't think of a better two set of verses in the entire Bible that teaches you, hey, by the way, a 12-year-old is teaching you this, okay? That teaches you how to approach people. Now, let's let's get the context here. Let's pretend that you're 12, okay? And I just put you in a room Full of, like, the top theologians on the earth. Okay. You're 12. Right. Okay. Do you think, do you think they're going to listen to a 12-year-old? Oh, definitely not. No way, bro. No way. No way. <laughs> but somehow, somehow the Lord gets them to listen to him. Okay. So we have to study the scripture and see what he did. Can you read verse 46? 46.
2: Okay. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both hearing them and questioning them.
1: Okay. Okay. The first thing he did was he was hearing them. Okay. He's listening. He's listening to every single word they're saying. And then what he does, and this is a skill that we have to, we, man, I can't even tell you, Saints. We have got to develop this skill. I need to listen to you and I need to question you based on things that you're saying. Okay. I don't just sit there and listen to you. And I see a lot of people do this. Okay. I've been serving for a while now. I've had a lot of appointments. I see a lot of people doing this where they sit there and listen. And they do like, hey, let's just get through the, let's just get through all the small talk, okay? Listen, I'm not a fan of it either, okay? I don't like small talk, like let's, let's get real as quickly as possible, okay? That's kind of my, that's kind of my style, but I, you know, you know, oh, hey, what, what stage did you grow up in? Oh, uh, yeah, where'd you go to school? um yeah that's cool that's cool any of your other friends uh come from that city too you know and you 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 just kind of like you know you do this it's really lame okay what major are you okay so i i understand i understand okay but and i've done it i've done it a million times (laughs) i've done it so many times
0: but you, you just listed the three big questions those are the three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are
1: the three. Those are the big three. It's like, it's like, man, they're, they're in the back pocket, you know, it's like, it's like, and then, and then they'll say like, Oh, engineering. And you're like, Oh, that's so cool. Anyway. And then, and then you pull out a ministry book. Okay. So this is the thing. This is the thing, bro. That, that is not very effective for one, for one, they, they don't feel like you love them at all. Okay. Right. You care about them at all you, you actually just became a book salesman in about 30 seconds. Okay. And I didn't sign up to be a book salesman. (laughs) So, so the thing is, bro, the thing is what we need to do is we need to sit there. We need to hear them. We need to do exactly what the Lord did. We sit there and we hear them and then we question them. Okay. Okay. Now an example of this is I'm, I'm just throwing this out here. Okay. Um, I can, okay, I can give you a short story. I can give you a short story as a, as a kind of an example, okay? There was this kid, his name was David, and, um, and hopefully he's a man after God's own heart, but not, not the David in the Bible, okay? So this David, he was a freshman at the University of Texas, and we were doing freshman orientation, and, you know, when I'm serving there, it was like, man, we were meeting like like 10,000 freshmen were coming on the campus during the summer. And we're just trying to like, you know, meet as many as possible. And so I sit down and I have lunch with this, with this guy, you know? And he, he signed up for like Bible studies and stuff. And this was, bro, this was like the 400th time I, I went through those types of small talk questions, you know? And it, I gotta be honest with you, I, I was starting to get bored. So what I, what I did was I, I, I kind of came up with this, uh, you could call it a game. I don't know. But I st- you could call it, you need to just practice doing this, okay? And what I did was I asked him what his testimony was. Okay, very common question. Hey, tell me your testimony. You know? And then, and then he starts telling me his testimony, right? Okay, I didn't say anything. I just listened. But while he was speaking, while he was speaking, I I just came up with different launch points in my mind based on his testimony of places I can go, Mm. okay, in the conversation. I'm not interrupting him. I'm just thinking about these things. And I was tallying them up in my head, okay? And by the end, I had 14 launch points, okay, places I could go. He talked for a while, Okay but places I could go. One of those things that he said was my dad and bro, his tone changed and he goes, my dad always made me read the Bible before we went to bed. And and then he just kept going with his testimony. And bro, I zeroed in on that so hard. I zeroed in on it. And I said, okay, David, I noticed, this is when he was finally done talking. Okay. Okay. I didn't take the conversation where I wanted to go. Okay. I didn't take it to, okay, now I need to show you the three circles. Thank you for sharing me your testimony. I'm going to share something with you now. Okay. What I did was I actually asked him. I was like, David, your tone changed a little bit when you started talking about your dad, forcing you to read the Bible. Are you bitter at your dad? Okay. And things got real, really quick. You know, and, and he kind of just paused and he just said, well, yeah, I'm pretty bitter that he forced me to do that. And I said, OK, does that bitterness leak over to your other father who's in heaven? OK, then and bro, it's OK. Awkwardness is actually fantastic, by the way, during an appointment. OK, if if I just continuously talk. And I don't pause and I wait for the person to think nothing, nothing's actually getting in. Okay.
4: Right.
1: So I just paused and I asked him and it's awkward. Sometimes you just have to sit there and wait and let them think about it. And he said, yeah, actually, I'm kind of bitter at the Lord too. And I said, okay. And then I, I said, bro, you know, the whole Christian life is about us being a vessel and you have to allow the Lord to come in. And so he has to eradicate that bitterness in you because it's a rock in your heart. And so I started to go into this whole thing about let allowing the Lord to come in. You know, I went to revelation three twenty; he stands at the door and knocks all this stuff, you know, Ephesians three seventeen; he wants to make his home in your heart. So I, I start talking about this, but I'm relating it to his actual experience. Mm. And I said, the Lord, the Lord is the ultimate gentleman and he wants, he does not want you to be bitter. So you have to deal with this, you have to open to him. Okay, this is an example,
2: hmm.
1: this is an example, okay? Now, we have to hear them, and then we have to question them, okay? The things that, questions are fascinating. They're like my favorite thing in the world, okay? Because question, questions automatically open up another human being. They have to talk, okay? So if look at look at verse forty seven, can you read verse forty seven? What ends up happening?
2: Amen. Okay, okay. forty seven, and all those who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers.
1: Okay, bro, this is so legit. We have to ask the question: What happens between verse forty six and forty seven? How does it go from hearing and questioning to? being amazed at his understanding and his answers he's asking questions and he's answering his own questions okay this is a skill this is a skill that we have to develop okay so we look at what the lord did when he was 12 years old and we can practice these things okay some people don't like rhetorical questions and i always i always laugh when they i don't like rhetorical questions well then you really don't like the Lord because every question he ever asked was rhetorical. He knew the answer to every single question. So you have to ask yourself, why is God asking questions? Why is he doing that? He asks questions to open you up. Okay. He's constantly doing it. It opens you up. Okay. This is great. Have you ever, bro, have you ever heard of mirroring? Mirroring. This is a this is a very practical thing where you can get someone to talk for ages. Okay. And and you say little to nothing. Okay. Actually, you just did it. You you just mirrored me. Okay. So I, I said, have you ever heard about mirroring? And then you phrased my statement by a question. Mirroring? Okay. That that is taking the end of someone's statement and forming it as a question. So someone can be sitting there and they're just like, oh yeah, you know, like my parents and I, we, you know, I was an only child and we moved from this city to that city. And, you know, my mom didn't like it very much. And, you know, then, then we went to the grocery store and then you just say, your mom didn't like it very much. Okay. I'm just taking what you're saying and I'm asking a question. Okay. This is a very, very easy thing. I heard this story where this guy, he went... He went on this retreat with his wife and, and he didn't want to, he didn't want to be on the retreat. He just thought it was really boring. It was like some yoga retreat or something. And, and he didn't want to be there. So all he did was mirror people the whole weekend. Okay. And, and every single conversation, he was just mirroring people. And by the end of the weekend, everybody was going up to his wife saying how much they love her husband. Like, Greg is so awesome. He's like my favorite person in the world that I met this weekend. And nobody knew anything about Greg, okay? Because all he did was mirror people the whole weekend. And the wife was really upset. It was a really funny story. Okay. At this point, we, we need to be good listeners. Okay. The number one thing is, I don't know. I don't. Okay. I meet you. Let's say I meet you on, on the street. Yeah. I don't know what you need. It's, it's very audacious of me to assume, to just assume, I know what you need. You need the three circles. You need the wire diagram. You need the divine romance, okay? I don't know anything about you. I don't know anything about you, okay? So one of the reasons we need to listen to people is we need to know what direction to go with them, okay? When they're talking... I can learn which direction to go. So, some of the things that we need to ask are you know, what's your thing? What are you into? What are your interests? Ask about their family, their life goals, their culture. You know, you do this in an unjudgmental way. It doesn't matter how they answer. I don't care if the guy has tattoos all over his face. Okay. I actually, I actually love talking to, anyway, those people are the most entertaining. And honestly, sometimes they're the most empty. Okay and the most open that's just a little fun fact but okay this is this is the thing i'm going to now hit on different types of people this is not an all-inclusive thing what we're what we're covering i'm just going to hit a couple of them if you don't have a background in christianity or you don't you don't know what they've been taught growing up this part's very important um One of them is if I come across a, a Catholic believer. Okay. Oh Lord. Okay. One of the things, bro. One of the things is they might not be saved. They could be, they could be. Okay. But the moment they tell me that I'm Catholic, I need to start asking them. That's a trigger for me, bro. If you, if I meet you and you tell me you're Catholic, I'm immediately asking about your salvation experience. Right. Okay. Those are all the questions I'm going. Okay. They probably were baptized as a child. The family is probably all Catholic, also. These are these are these are pretty clear assumptions that we can make. And you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying not to generalize here, but these are pretty good. Okay one of the problems and we're going to go over this more next week a lot of times what do we do with people when they have a lot of problems with with us okay one of the reasons a lot of times this happens is because their problems come from a deeper issue and it sounds like you're attacking my family by what you're sharing with me
2: mm-hmm.
1: okay a lot of times that's what it is okay and we need to be aware of that okay How about, I don't even know if you guys know what a Calvinist is, but they're my favorite. I love meeting Calvinists. They're usually rock hard. There's usually not very much love involved. Okay. They love to emphasize righteousness and, and they can't stand an altar call. This is if they're really hardcore Calvinists because they do not emphasize free will. They emphasize predestination. Okay. So let me, let me give you, let me give you another story. Okay. Cause Nathaniel told me I needed to tell stories. So I'm sorry if I'm telling too many stories, there was this, there was this guy uh, I went in, I went into Boston and, and I went into the Starbucks in Boston two stories. Maybe some of you have been there and I went upstairs and this, this guy was reading his Bible. And I went over and I was like, oh, hey, like, that's cool, man. You don't see very many people reading your Bible. Can I sit down? And he's like, yeah, sure. So we start talking. Anyway, I'm listening to this guy for a long time. And we start talking about salvation. And he is thoroughly convinced. Okay, He was kind of a Calvinist, but I don't really know what he was. He had some very strange beliefs, you know. Anyway, he was very convinced that you could lose your salvation. No, sorry, you couldn't lose it. You know, this is a real Calvinist. Calvinists don't think you can lose it, right? What they, what they think is uh, you were never saved in the first place. But if you're saved, you can't lose it. But you don't actually know if you're saved. So it's this, it's this big loop that you have to, like, you know, dive around. For what, what verse, I'm curious what verse you would take him to.
2: in terms of salvation
1: yeah sure i i need to prove to him that he cannot lose his salvation you're gonna have to help me here. Uh, okay call. bro this is bro you got to keep this in your back pocket man you got to keep this one in your back pocket bro this one it's first corinthians 3 15. There's a, you know, you don't want to get into parables with people because a lot of times that's a, that's all based on interpretation. Paul is not interpreting anything here. Can you read 1 Corinthians
2: 3.15? 1 Corinthians 3.15. If anyone's work is consumed, he will, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Yet so as through fire. Okay.
1: Okay, bro. I showed this this brother this verse in Starbucks in Boston. And he's reading it and he gets to the end of the verse. He he will be saved, yet so as through fire. And he drops his Hebrew, he drops his Bible and he starts pacing around Starbucks. (laughs) I'm like, I'm like, is this guy okay? Like, what did I just do? You know, like, gosh. And he's he's like, he's so upset, you know. Actually, he wasn't upset. He just didn't know what to do. Like his mind got completely fried. And then he and then he sat down and he's like, he's like, so I can't lose it. And I'm like, no, you can't lose it, bro. Isn't that incredible? And so he was super happy. Okay. So this is this is someone, this is actually someone that's more, you could say, Armenianist. Okay. Most Christians are Armenianists, even though they don't know they are. And what that is is someone who thinks that they can gain and lose their salvation all the time, like they're on an elevator. Okay. And it's completely based on emotion. How do I feel right now? Mm. If I go to church camp, I feel saved. When I come home and I sin, I'm not saved. And they they just do this all the time. I was Armenianist, I didn't even know it. Okay. I just thought, you know, I did 14,000 altar calls. Anytime the pastor asked me to go to the front, I'm like, yeah, let's do it. You know, like I'll crawl up there if I have to this time. And so it was, it was, I was desperate. Right. And so I was helped immensely knowing that I can't lose my salvation. Okay. Now there's another thing I want, I want to teach you right now. That's, this is another very interesting little short story. Okay. So there was there was this German student, and I'm not going to say what gender it was because they might know and they might watch this. Okay. There was a German student. They wanted to know all about heaven. Okay. And this is a this is a, I'm sorry, bro. I'm sorry. I'm I'm like really putting you through the fire right now. Okay. But I so she really she oh I just said the gender. Oh no. Okay, we'll edit that out. Okay. So she, I'll just say again, really wanted to know about heaven, and I'm like, I'm like, okay, that's cool, that's cool. Like, can you give me all the verses? Give me all the verses, okay. And so this is this is more this story is more reading into the question that they ask, okay, what they actually need to know. This is this is the kind of skill that we need to develop also. So one of the things was she, she goes through all these verses, right? It's, I think it's okay that I say it's a she, she goes through all these verses and, and then, uh, she ends up texting me this question. I'm going to text you this question. Okay? Okay. And I want, I want you to tell me what direction you would go. Okay. Okay. And this is, this is kind of a loaded question, bro, because Basically, you need to see what does she not see? Okay. Okay. That's the thing. Sometimes people ask us questions and we just give an answer to that question, but sometimes it's way deeper and we need to see what that deeper issue is. Okay. So this is the question. What does Matthew 24, 39 through 42 mean? Why is one taken and why is one left? okay so these are the people like at the mill and they're you know and then boom once and they're gone you know so i just gave you the context of the question okay what direction would you go bro (laughs) what does she not see we're talking about we're talking about heaven right that's correct but what what does she she's is she asking about heaven with this question
2: Is she asking about heaven with this question?
1: Right. Is it related to heaven? No, it's not related to heaven. Okay. What is it related to? It's kind of that's the rapture of those. Two. Okay, bro. See, now you're cooking, bro. Now you're cooking. So, what direction do you need to go? The side of the rapture. Okay. 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 <laughs> so there's two. There's two raptures, right? There's that's correct. Okay. Yeah. So first of all, she doesn't know that mm-hmm. probably. I can probably assume that she doesn't know that. I don't, I didn't actually know yet. Okay. But, but the deeper thing is the deeper thing that I immediately knew when I got that question, she doesn't know anything about the kingdom. Ah, okay. Right. She doesn't know anything about the kingdom. And actually, even though we're talking about heaven, she won't actually see heaven until she sees the kingdom because this is actually blocking this is a stronghold in her mind that it's not allowing her to see this whole heaven topic. Mm. Okay. So these are like, this is the kind of stuff that I mean, when, when someone's asking these types of questions, you have to see deeper into it. Okay. Because a lot of times that question that's coming up out of them is revealing the thing that's blocking them from seeing something. Okay. Yeah. See I mean. And if I just come back and I start talking about, Oh well, you know, like there's there's two people at a mill and they're working and you know and I start answering the question in the context that's not going to help her. Right. Does that make sense? Yes, makes sense. Okay. So these are these are some these are some maybe short stories. I think they're short of of uh, you know little little times that I've had with people. And we really need to study. You need to study different different types of teaching okay different schools of teaching because if you don't you have no idea what you're going up against okay it's essentially what you're doing is you have a little pistol and there's a tank coming at you and you're shooting your pistol hoping that the tank blows up okay and that's that's a lot of times what we do We just, we just, man, I really hope, like, if I share my enjoyment from this morning, it's just going to, like, blow their mind, you know, and they're going to touch their spirit. I'm not saying that that won't work, okay? But that's, that's literally like shooting the bullet down the, down the barrel of the tank as it's firing and it blows up in there. You know, it's like very rare. It's very rare. So that's, that's the thing. Do do you understand what I'm saying, bro? Yeah. Okay. I'm enjoying this conversation. Is this helping at all? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, bro, in the future, when you when you graduate, you need to come to Munich, okay? Right. And I'm chilling in Munich, and I have a whiteboard, and we're going to go over this way more in detail, okay? Because I have a lot I have to share with you. Okay, but first, I'm going to hear you, and I'm going to ask you questions. Okay. And then through that, you're going to ask me questions. Okay. Okay so maybe maybe at this point some of the nathaniel do you think we should go over like some questions to ask people i think that'd be good let's do that so okay okay oh man okay so bro when i when i was in the training do you know what i did i sat in class you can do that do this this semester please i sat in class and everything that they shared i i thought about it from a way of like how could I present this to someone? Right. Okay. And so there's a difference. There's a difference between speaking in a prophesying meeting. And then there's spe- a difference between speaking to someone on the street. Right. Okay. Don't take the prophesying meeting to the street. It, it's not going to work very well. You know what right. I'm saying? And so, so the thing is, these are some questions that I find very, very helpful one thing that you can do in an appointment with someone and it varies how much the person knows about the Bible. Okay. But one of the main things I like to do is you have to create a problem. Okay. Create problems that you and this other person are trying to fix. Okay. So it's not just, I'm teaching, I'm talking down to you I'll present two verses that seem like they contradict each other. Okay. And I'll be, or, or two problems in the Bible that seem like they contradict each other. And then I'll present that to the person, to this Christian. Okay. This person is saved. And and I say, Hey, like, what's the deal with this? Hmm. And then a lot, I, I, all the time, they're like, Oh man, I don't know. I've never thought of that before. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Right. Okay. Me neither. Okay, or I'll say, you know, earlier this week I was thinking about something, and it's like, why does why does the Lord say born again? Isn't that weird? Mm. Right. Like, if you actually if you actually analyze the phrase, they've heard it their whole life. Okay, so they've become kind of numb to the phrase. But if you actually like really get why born, you know. And, and, and then you, you can start, you know, I thought it was like, if we just die, we go to heaven. My name's written in the book of life. I get there. Peter's there at the gate and he says, okay, it's here. You can come in. Okay. Like, why do I have to be born for that? Mm-hmm. And so basically I'm playing off of things that they know that they can relate to from their growing up. And then I ask them questions like this. Okay. One of one of the most common ones that I like to do, bro, and may, maybe you can maybe you can help me out with this, okay? Bro, you can ask a believer from any any background this question, okay? Because what they're being taught is that sin is the main problem. Okay, sin is the problem. Stop sinning. Sin's the problem. Sin, sin, sin. Okay, and I understand that sin's a big problem, but but. This is, this is interesting. You can take them to, to Genesis one twenty eight, And it's also, Seppo, it's also how you, how you set it up. Okay. okay. So I'm going to set this up as if you are uh, doing the appointment with me. Okay. okay. So, you know, Seppo, I, I grew up as a believer and I was always told that sin's a problem,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and it's the main problem, and and then this and then I just I realized this verse the other day, uh, and I want to I want to know what you think about it. So, um, when did sin come into the Bible in the context of the Bible? Right. Do you, do you know, bro? When? Did when sin- when when did sin really enter into the into the context of the Bible? Uh, the context of um,
2: Genesis two. Oh, okay, I'll use Genesis two in terms of context of the Bible.
1: Sure, sure, it does. Right, that's when they eat, and they they do all this. They do all the bad stuff. Well, actually, it's Genesis three. Is it Genesis? Oh, sorry, yeah. So it's yeah. Genesis three, and so I'll sit there and I'll say, okay, okay. So if it's if it's Genesis three. Uh, And then I'll take the person, I'll take you, to Genesis 128. Can can you read Genesis 128 for me?
2: Okay, 128 reads, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the Mm -hmm. sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over every living thing that moves
1: upon the earth. Okay, so the thing the problem here is this that, that I'm kind of struggling with because to subdue implies a kind of struggle. If I'm going to subdue you, it's it's two wills colliding, okay? right? And it, it implies a type of conflict, warfare, battle, whatever you want to call it. Okay. And and I I thought that sin enters the context of the bible in genesis 3. so what do i need to subdue as adam so let's pretend that you're adam what would you ask god if he tells you in genesis 128 to subdue the earth what am i subduing right Hmm. it's not the plant life okay yeah. like it's i mean why are you gonna like tie a tree to the ground and subdue it okay i don't think plants have a will right the animals are cool you know in genesis 2 19 and 20 he's like naming the animals they're totally chill man there's no problem with the animals he doesn't need to tie a giraffe to the ground and subdue it so what do you think he needs to subdue bro uh, his adversary which is satan the okay okay bro Bro, okay. So this is awesome. This is awesome. Because you should never talk more than a few minutes before asking a question. Right. Ever. The person will tune you out, right? So you, you I've, I've asked you this question, right? Right. And we've right. come to the conclusion now. Actually, you came to the conclusion. I just kind of led you down the path. Mm-hmm. That it's actually Satan. Yeah. Okay. So I didn't tell you. Hey, you know, gen- based on Genesis one twenty eight, we have to subdue Satan. Because in your in your, uh, flow chart that's in your brain as a Christian growing up, it just bounced out. Right. Yeah. Okay. The, it, no denied Blank, And it just bounces out. Okay. But the thing is, if I lead you down a path of questions, okay, and you come up with the answer, now as a believer, Seppo, what are you going to ask me? I'm like, yeah, for sure, bro. It's Satan. What What do you think now? What would I ask you next? Usually, I've done this. I've done this like a lot of times. Usually, right. the person then asks me a question. Yes. Once they realize it's Satan, uh huh. What What do you think they usually ask? How do we subdue him? Oh, me, hey, bro. That's what I'm talking about. So that's oft- oftentimes we've i've created a problem right i've eliminated sin as the problem now satan's the problem and your purpose actually he says he says to subdue the earth before he tells us to eat anything your purpose is to subdue satan mm. so now immediately no believer knows they're supposed to do that by the way they think they think god did it and it's already over because it is finished anyway we could go on this for days (laughs) but but the whole point is the whole point is now i can start to take you through creature deals with creature i can start to show you that man's goal is to defeat satan you know it's obviously the lord did defeat i'm you know what i'm saying right yeah okay so okay and then eventually eventually I can lead this appointment down to the ground of oneness. Because how do we actually subdue Satan? I can't tackle him. Right. Okay, he would destroy me. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, through, only through the oneness on the ground can we actually defeat Satan. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you see, do you see how this happened? How it leads, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I started off with a I started questioning, I'm creating a problem, and I'm leading you down this path. Okay. Much different than, than let's, let's read a book, right? Well, given the answer straight away. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, I've talked too long. Nathaniel, please take over at this point and say well, something.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, uh, and feel free to come back if you want to hit more on this. But actually, I thought this might be a good um, point to talk about um okay obviously um it's not like we just you know have generated all of this understanding and revelation on our own okay we're standing on shoulders and pretty big shoulders okay that that have come before us and so we're just the beneficiaries of 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 that um everyone when they uh, come to the Word, they have a view. They have a viewpoint. They might say, and I, I don't know about you, I encounter this a lot. It's like um, I, you know I just want to read the Bible. I don't want anything else you know I just I just want this the, the scripture. Um, but the fact is everybody, if I can use this terminology, everybody has a can opener that they use to open up the Bible. It may be their own background, their own viewpoint, maybe somebody else's. Um, so I'm never really put off when somebody says, uh, like, for example, let's say I, I refer to, um, a footnote or a book that I, that I, that I enjoyed. And, um, And someone says, well, I I just want to read the Bible. I have no problem with that at all because I have a can opener and I have a can opener that opens up the Bible. And so whether I'm using a book or whether I'm using, whether I'm using a Bible, a, a book that can help open up the Bible, or I'm using the Bible, to me, in a sense, it doesn't matter because I'm just going to speak in the, in a way of opening up what's in the Bible. Mm -hmm. So, um, when we have to consider what kind of person we're dealing with when we, when we're, when we're, so some people, they may have no issue with reading some kind of commentary. Right. And I mean, I think that's a good approach to have personally. I mean, if you, you know, commentary is very helpful. If you think that you can be all inclusive and receive all the revelation required, you know, to fully understand what's in the Bible and you don't need help from anybody else. I mean, you know, I think you have a lot of confidence in your in yourself. Um uh but there are there are many people who have that view. And so that's where it, asking questions like the one that Trevor, like the ones Trevor's mentioned come into play because oftentimes what happens is people like that will, who have that kind of viewpoint, they will um, have this uh, approach where they'll read it and they'll just try to understand what's going on in the text. So one of the things that I really, one of the questions I really like to ask is, okay, you know, in um john chapter 7 uh it says uh that the spirit was not yet because jesus had not yet been glorified and oftentimes um they will read from their translation and it will say the spirit was not yet given and normally that word given will be in italics because it was supplied by the translators, because the translators assumed that that was a reference to the spirit being poured out on the day of Pentecost. So then I'll just ask them, okay, this word is not in the Greek, but it was supplied. So what does that mean when we say that the spirit was not yet? Does, was the spirit really not yet yet? Was the spirit around in Genesis one two when it says the spirit of God was brooding upon the surface of the waters? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then you just it, it just what it does is it causes them to realize well okay maybe I don't know everything that's going on here maybe there's a lot of stuff that's going on in the Bible beneath the surface and I need help. One of my favorite actually this might be my my favorite is reading. Uh, Romans 1, 3 through 4 with somebody. I love doing that. <laughs> because, you know, essentially, you're, you're asking someone the same question that the Lord asked the Pharisees. You know, if David, how could David say, um, my Lord, when, he, when the Messiah is David's son? How does that work? okay, and then we go through very carefully Romans 1, 3, and you see that he's the seed of, you see, first of all, he's the son of God. And then you say he's the seed of David. And then you see in verse 4 that he's designated the son of God again. You're like, whoa, 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 hang on a second. I thought he was the, already the son of God. Why does he need to be designated the son of God? Okay. It just, what's going on there? Okay. And then, you know, you go to John 3.16, uh, he's the only begotten son of God. You go to Romans 8.29, he's the firstborn son of God with many brothers. Okay, now my question to you is, how can the only begotten son of God have many brothers? So you ask questions like this, and eventually people start to realize, I, if they're open, because I've also encountered people who just aren't open, okay, and that's cool. I'm not trying to push anything, but if they're open, they'll start to realize I need help. Okay. Now I have not arrived at any of these things on my own, but I have a can opener. Right. So, um, we just have to consider who we're with and we have to realize the function of the can opener that we have. It's to open up the word. It's never intended to replace the word.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, for example, um, Kieran, you and I, we started reading. I forgot where we what we were doing first, but eventually, we decided we wanted to get
4: into Daniel, right? I think we done like a general thing on Genesis, and then went to Revelation, and then let Revelation lead us into Daniel.
0: That's right. And so when we were, so yeah, we were getting into Revelation for a bit. Then we went to Daniel. And then when we, get, when we got to Daniel, we started reading some commentary, right? Yeah. But when we read that, we always read the verses to start out, right? We always read the chapter that it's based on. And then what happens is then the commentary helps us to have even more fellowship over the verses.
4: Yes. Is that a fair description? Yes. Okay. And yeah. and the, the, so, well, yeah, I was gonna say it opens up no, more no, questions no. as well, knowing someone else's mm. viewpoint or someone else's portion of what they've gained from that particular yeah. text you've just read, which is that canop yeah. that we're talking about. hmm
0: Yeah, exactly. So I think when when we when we, we just have to consider where people are. Some people they're ready for some commentary, okay? They're ready for a, 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 a they're ready for some book from the ministry. But actually, most people that I've met they need they need to be fed the ministry through the word, and that's not a contradiction, okay? Because the ministry opens up the word. The whole point of the ministry is to bring us to the word. So part of it, what we have to learn how to do, and I know it's not easy, and it may require more preparation, but part of... And to me, I always take it as a challenge, as a positive challenge. If someone doesn't uh, want to touch any kind of commentary, then I just take that from the Lord Lord, I'm just going to speak the riches that are in the word to this person yeah. and we're going to have a great time. Anyway, so I don't know, Trevor, if you have any more on that or any of the other things.
1: Yeah, I mean, instead of instead of defaulting to using ministry books, you could probably default to not as far as initial contact with the person. It's, it's just... Um, you're really opening up a can of worms a lot of times when that's that's the initial thing um because most christians are going to start asking you um, you know who is witnessly who is watchman if you don't know how to answer these questions you just walked into a wasp nest and so um anyway yeah and, and the point the point everything that nathaniel says is totally true i mean like we're supposed to become the books, you know. That that should be the the main goal. Um anyway, yeah, I, I like I like I like where this is going. This is good. I actually okay, I have a question for Sezway, bro. Steve, bro, are you unmuted? I am um. okay, bro. Tell me what you would say if I was giving you my testimony. And or no, actually, if you ask me when did you become a Christian or when did you become saved? And my response is I was I was born into a
3: Christian family. Where what would you say? Uh, when did you choose the Lord for yourself?
1: That's a good one, bro. I like that. I like that, dude. So some people think some people think that Christianity is a race, like Judaism. And if I'm born into a Christian family, therefore I'm saved. And that that's just what they've been taught. So they never actually had a very personal experience like what you I like, bro. That was a perfect question. I love it. I love it. So this way is ready, bro. He's ready. We can just end now. Um <laughs> okay. Daniel, do you want to you want to move on I, I really think we could talk about this four days but maybe we should move on to uh the what you are <laughs> actually actually one one thing one thing i will say one thing i will say something that really impressed me okay uh when when i when i met the saints um I was, I was so philosophical that it's funny that how Nathaniel was, we were just talking about the ministry books. I was so philosophical. I didn't want to use the Bible. Okay. And so let alone the books, you know, and the, the brother who was taking care of me, he came over and he opened up his Bible and he's like, okay, so do you have any questions? And I closed his Bible. This is a, this is a massive exposing of me, man. I was this, I Wow. I was messed up. I closed his Bible and I said, I don't want to use the Bible. I want to have deep intellectual conversation. Okay. So this, this is where I was at. Okay. And so then, you know what he ended up doing? I don't think even Nathaniel knows this. Do you know? (laughs) He actually, he actually just goes, okay. And he slides his Bible over and every single topic I brought up, he quoted verses from memory. Wow. oh you know actually moses says in genesis and i was like i knew what he was doing and I was, like, I was like hey you're still using the bible but the but the thing is the thing is that was super impressive to me that was so impressed like who is this guy anyway that that's just a, a short testimony as far as like some people like me didn't even want to use the bible um okay so nathaniel please so when we talk about uh, church kids,
0: uh, we're talking about people who uh, grew up in what we would call the church life. Um, and uh, like everybody else, uh, and so I, that was that, that's me. I, I, that was what happened to me. Uh, I'm very thankful for it. Um, and uh, okay, like everybody, all church kids are the same. No church kid is the same, okay? Sorry. Freudian <laughs> slip there no church kid is the same okay um and there are common threads in in the behavior but like everybody else we need shepherding according to God um, but I will acknowledge we can be very frustrating okay um so I think taking care of church kids who've grown up in an atmosphere where. You grow up and you hear a lot, not only about God's judicial redemption, but also about his organic salvation. You hear about God's eternal purpose. You hear about how God needs a corporate group of people to turn the age and how he wants you to be part of it. Okay. You hear that all the time growing up and it's wonderful. But, um, so we just have to consider, um, they're they're growing up in this kind of atmosphere um and so as i was thinking about it to me it kind of exposed a little bit some of the if i can use this phrase um the metrics of success that we may have or that i have in bringing someone into the church life okay so when would we consider that someone is solidly in the church okay i'm just going to list a few things um, maybe regularly they're having time with the lord in the morning um, they enjoy pray reading the word calling on the lord you know they're involved with all that kind of uh, wonderful um, enjoyment regularly uh, speaking in the church meetings okay right you know they're, they're really good at standing up and, you know, they speak in conferences, they speak in large meetings, they speak in small meetings. Um, they're in small meetings. Okay. They're in small groups. Okay. So not only are they in the large meetings, not only do they attend like the prayer meeting and the Lord's table, but you know, they're in small group meetings, maybe multiple during the week. Um, okay. So these are all things we might say if somebody is doing that. Yes, right, uh, Trevor.
1: I got another one, bro. I got another one. Yeah, when, go for when, it. When their language changes. Oh. I'm not okay. talking about I'm not this is I'm not talking about uh, them saying compound spirit. I, what I am talking about is when they start saying us and we instead of you guys they are identifying they are identifying with you instead of at you okay keep going so and 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 i mean you know you start instead of saying
0: i'm going to church you say i'm going to the meeting whatever i mean there's all kinds of things that (laughs) okay all right um and then i would say another and to me actually this is one of the key indicators is are, are they, are they bearing fruit? Actually, to me, that's one of the top, all the other things are, um, forgive me for saying this, but they can be behavioral. Um, and, uh, when someone is bearing fruit, when someone is speaking to their friends and bringing their friends into, um, this the same kind of enjoyment that's an indication that there is uh, a real abiding in the vine going on okay so um i'm not going to be speaking about caring for church kids who are what we would say maybe are healthy um who are Very positive. They may have problems, they may have issues, but they can go and open up to people, people in a very positive way. You know, they're they and they don't generally live a double life. Okay, I'm not talking about those ones. Um, I'm talking about many that I've cared for, you know, they might be disenchanted, disgruntled, um, or they might just be living a double life. or they may not even realize what their own condition is. They might think they're fine, but actually um, there isn't much reality there. Okay, so how, because they are in a culture, they have grown up in a culture, but there hasn't been a kind of uh, connection where they've really found the Lord and they've kind of been extricated from the culture they don't measure themselves based on all the things that they're supposed to do um, instead their measurement is based on their living relationship with the lord okay um, so why why is this difficult okay and why does this expose kind of our metrics for success because church kids grow up in the culture of the church life so they can do many many things without actually having that much reality without actually experiencing the lord that much and i'm saying this not pointing at other church kids i'm saying this pointing at myself i'll tell you this story i was uh i came back after a a conference i was in high school in secondary school and um Uh, after, uh, the meeting, uh, there was a Lord's day morning meeting. Um, some of us were sharing about what we had seen and appreciated during the conference. And I, I was speaking and, uh, as I was speaking, I looked over and my dad was in the meeting and he started, I just, he just started laughing and I hadn't shared anything that was funny. He just started cracking up and everybody was kind of looking. It was like, what's going on there? And so um, after the meeting, I went up to him and I was like, Hey dad, what, what, why were you laughing? I didn't say anything um, funny. And um, he said, uh, he was like, well, when you were speaking, it was like you were reading a newspaper. There was absolutely no exercise of the spirit. And that statement absolutely floored me. Because up until that point, I assumed that I knew how to exercise my spirit. And I assumed I knew how to speak the Lord to people. And when he said that, I realized I, there was a dawning realization that required a number of years to fully mature that I was basically living out a culture. And so anyway, I am forever thankful to my, to my dad for saying that to me. Um, so, uh, anyway, I could say a lot more. Um, so in other words, when you're with church kids, um, they may be good at speaking in public. You know, they might get really good. They hear something in the meeting and they can just, in their head, they pull out all the relevant points and they can stand up. They go like this and boom, they've released a wonderful prophecy. Everybody's really happy. But the question is, how much, how much reality is, is really there? Um, I'm not saying this to call them into question. I'm saying that they themselves know what's real and what isn't. And just because someone is, um, is talking the talk, we shouldn't assume that everything is okay because they grew up that way. We, so in other words, care for them is really a lot of times really hard Because you have to throw away everything that you normally, you know, if you see someone who comes into the church life, and they're doing all these things, you kind of feel kind of happy, because you know, they're speaking they're, you know, but to apply the same thing to a church kit, you might be making a a mistake, and you might actually be missing the fact that inwardly, they're very, very confused. And inwardly, they might even be hurting, but they are caught because everyone has an expectation of them. Everyone wants, uh, expects them to be a certain way and they no longer have the life to be able to match that. So they have to fill that up with performance. That's really sad. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm not say, speaking about anybody on this call, I'm speaking about myself and my own experience. That was, that was my experience, and it was the experience of um, many of my peers. Um, so uh, that's why I would say, actually, when you see church kids who are bearing fruit, when they're bringing their friends, um, that's actually, to me, one of the best indicators. Because it's an indicator that there isn't a double life the, who they are with the saints in the church life, that's who they are with their friends. That's a really big, that's a big deal. And so, um, I would say usually it happens around the early adolescent years. Okay. Um, when church kids can go at least down, at least four, four avenues, at least four. Okay. And, one is, you know, every, every church kid experiences a crisis where there's a standard and an expectation. They realize they can't meet it. So what do you do? And the reason why they can't meet it may be because they really want to do something else. That nobody that other people that they that they feel they shouldn't do, but they really want to do it. So now, how do you deal with that. Okay, maybe you're able to open up to someone and then you can get through it. Or you start to see a divergence. Okay, they're living one life. But now there's a divergence between life at home. And life with the saints and life at school, or there might be a just an attitude. It's like, well, I don't care anymore. I don't care what people think. I'm just going to do whatever I want. And then you know, a lot of times they get labeled rebellious or you know, whatever. Um, I love rebellious church kids because at least they're being genuine. Okay, I love I love church kids who don't care about what people think because they are being genuine. And it's really easy to take care of people who are being genuine. It's really difficult to take care of people who are hiding. Um, So uh, I'm not gonna get into all the things about um, what causes the the divergence. That could, you know, there's, there's many reasons. But the result is that eventually, you can, you know, you and I've I've seen this. You know, somebody comes, they come to, uh, you know, to so let's let's say they'll come to our locality, and um, you know, they they just they they try to they say all the right things, okay, and I don't react. I just just love love them and have them with us. And over time you, you begin to realize, you know, you you see, well, they say one thing, but they live in another way. So then the question becomes, how do you care for someone like that? How do you help them? And so, um, I am no expert. Um, I'm a, I'm a recovering, not saying this as a doctor because I'm a recovering patient myself. Um, but as a recovering patient, um, One thing I would say is that uh, for church kids, you have to just, they can smell, an we can smell an agenda a mile away, a mile and a half, two miles, a hundred miles. We can just smell it. It can, it comes through text, whether it comes through text, whether it comes through conversation. So, Taking care of church kids is really difficult because you have to be pure in your motive. You have to not want them to be anything and not want them to do anything. You just have to love them for who they are. And that can be really difficult sometimes, especially it can be difficult for people who have come into the church life because their feeling is, well, you are a very privileged person. Why don't you see it why don't you get Please. it what's wrong with you okay um or and this is really hard you know a lot of times it seems like people can be just transactional it's like hey how are you doing i'll like, say i'm good oh, okay cool hey you want to come to the meeting tonight man i just i can't tell you how many texts <laughs> okay, you know, it's like, well, why did you text me? Okay, so for most people, that doesn't seem too bad, right? It's just simple. I just asked you, you want to come to the meeting, but for church kids, it's like, you don't care about me. You have no interest in what's going on. You literally just texted me because you want me to show up to the meeting, okay? I might show up, might not, whatever, but my impression is you don't care, OK, now that may not actually be your feeling, but that's what they hear. That's what I hear. That's what I heard, you know, and church kids are like this. I was like this a lot. And I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to generalize to every church kid. I, I, but I'm, in my speaking, I'm considering not only myself, but a lot of others that I know. And we look around and we see people going crazy over new, new people who come in and it's like, no one's taking care of me. Why is no one taking care of me, okay? So, okay, that may seem a bit self-centered, all right? But this is actually a pretty common affliction. And um, maybe, can we uh, go to Luke chapter 15? Can Can we share the iPad and go to Luke chapter 15? Anyway, this was a big help to me. But how you, yeah, and just so, you know, Luke fifteen. Let's go down to the bottom to the the prodigal son, right? So the prodigal son, he squanders all his living, and um, eventually he comes to himself and he decides to come back, right? And then the father receives him. Okay, let's keep going down a little bit. Okay. And I'm not putting this down in any way. Okay. This is absolutely, I'm just telling you how a church could can very easily view this. Okay. So you know, it's like, okay, go down, go down. Okay. And then verse 24, the son of mine was dead and lives again. He was lost and has been found and they began to be merry. Wonderful. Okay. Now his older son was in the field. Okay. The older son, he didn't go anywhere. He didn't squander anything, okay? And he came and he drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing. And calling to him one of the servants, he inquired what these things might be. Okay, Kieran, can you read 27?
4: And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has slaughtered. Slaughtered the fattened calf because he has received him back healthy. Okay, twenty-eight. But he became angry and was not willing to enter, and his father came out and and treated him.
0: Yeah, so this is a reaction that many church kids can have is you just why? Why are you not why are you caring for all these other people, but you're not, you never did this for me. Right. So that's what he says in verse 29 and verse 30. Okay.
4: You read that verse 29 and 30. But he answers and said to his father, behold, so many years I have been slaving for you and have never neglected the command of yours. And you have never given me a goat that I might be merry with my friends. But when this son of yours came, you devoured your living with harlots. You slaughtered for him the fattened calf.
0: Okay, so just notice. You have never given me a goat that I might be merry with my friends. And then he says, but when this son of yours came. So whose son is that? That's the son of
4: the father, right, Kieran? Yeah. Is that also his brother? That's also his brother. So he should be as happy to see him as his father. Yeah, right. Should be. But um, then he
0: says, who devoured your living with harlots? You can just hear the judgment oozing out of that statement. Okay. He devoured your living with harlots. He's a sinner. He's just done so much. And what about me? Okay. You slaughtered for him the fattened calf. Okay? So there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of judgment, there's a lot of resentment there. Alright, verse 30, 31, the Father says to him, Child, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. Okay. Every church kid eventually has to come to this point where you have a personal speaking from the father that all that is the father's is yours so this was my experience because for many reasons and i'm not going to get into all of them but for many reasons you can become very bitter um disappointed you can get hurt and It's very difficult to open that up a lot of times. Um, But we need the Lord's personal speaking. Every church kid needs the Lord's kiss. Okay? And needs the Father's speaking. And we need to see that all that is mine, all that is mine is yours the thing about church kids growing up is that it may take a while to realize what, what you have, what we have.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And having people tell me, having people tell, tell you like, don't you realize what you have is not helpful. It's just, you know, it's like, it's, it's um, I don't know exactly how, what to compare it to, but it's just not helpful. I need someone to show me the humanity of Jesus. I need someone who won't just tell me about all the riches, but they will be that to me. They will show me just a normal, divinely human person who loves me no matter what. And... Oftentimes it's through that kind of person that I will see the Lord and I will find the father's voice. And then I'll realize everything that I grew up with, all that I've inherited, it's always been mine. And now I can take it and I can enjoy it and I can become it. Okay. But that's, that's why I say that caring for church kids is is not easy because um, they just have a particular kind of background. And um, I guess I'm biased because that was me. It still is me. Trevor still has to take care of me. But uh, at the same time, uh, because of having gone through all that, I have a lot of empathy. I just realized it's not easy. And I'll never forget. I was in a conference or it was, it was, it was this massive international training and I was with this young brother who'd grown up in the church life and we were just, you know, and, and, you know, and everybody's so excited. Everybody's really excited. You know, we're, it's just, it's an awesome time and everybody's enjoying the Lord and, I realized, you know, he was saying everything, but there wasn't—it wasn't there wasn't a connection between his spirit and what he was saying. And so, we started to just talk, and and um, I just was asking questions and probing a little bit, you know, what are you, what are you, what's your experience been, what's it like where you're from, and then before I knew it, he just started to weep. And and then I realized, you know, actually, he had come to that time under so much pressure. He had come under so much pressure. He had to enjoy the Lord because people were looking up to him and people were expecting him to do that. And he wasn't doing it according to the standard that he expected of himself. And so eventually it was just too much. So but once he got through that and all the expectations and standards fell away, he was able to enjoy the Lord. No problem. So uh, there's something else I'd like, I don't know, Trevor, if you have anything else, there's a little quote that I want to read a little bit later, but I don't know if you have anything else at this point.
1: I think, I think what Nathaniel's saying is really true. You know, like the, they need to feel, um, Loved, cared for—they uh, can—they can see it coming from a mile away. That you have some kind of agenda. Uh, all that stuff is—is is very. I, I've just, in my experience of doing home meetings with them, oftentimes I've realized that they know—they know a lot of the terminology, but they don't really—they haven't ever had it really pieced together. Um. So a lot of times we would do kind of like dive sessions in my living room and they would get blown away as much as the new people. Cause it's like, Whoa, I've never, I've never seen it uh, put together. Like the puzzle put together. Yeah. It's just been like kind of conferences here and there and people talking. And so they've picked up things over time, but they've, they've never actually had it all laid out, you know? So that, that can be another thing. I I don't think, you know, obviously there's a lot of cherishing that needs to happen, but there's also a lot of, uh, I've met a lot of very, very seeking church kids who, who want, who want to know stuff, you know?
0: Well, I'll just, uh, maybe just make two, two, two other comments. One is that I think a lot of times, um, whether we like it or not, church kids can sort of grow up with a kind of call it like a gospel of sin management where, um, you know, it's like essentially a list of do's and don'ts. And so even though we try to present things kind of in an organic way, eventually it can kind of be interpreted, unfortunately, as like, well, do this, don't do this. You know, there's these standards, these regulations, you do that, you're good. Um, And then the problem is, is that it causes, a lot of young people to then experience um just a a lot of guilt and failure and shame and um in that in that i think a lot of times is often inevitable because we are all fallen human beings and so the key is what happens when you have failure how do you deal with it okay and so um, there's a, a um, someone who, who was doing a study on generations, and they made this comment, and I really, really appreciated it. And um, the comment was this: um, "Doubt is not what kills faith; silence is. When we don't allow young people to explore challenging ideas and questions." we inadvertently preach a small Jesus rather than the Lord and savior of the world instead of so. So in other words, giving young people, giving church kids, uh, anybody really giving them an, an atmosphere, a place where they can just open up and be who they are. Um, and open up whatever it is that they're going through without fear of judgment is is just, it's just so important to have that. And um, a lot of times, because they don't have that, they just default into living a, a double life. And so my hope is that um, any church kids that come our way, uh, we wouldn't assume anything about them, just like we wouldn't assume anything about... Uh, any, any, you know, new ones who come our way. We just realize this is a person. They have a particular background, a particular history, and I need to be open to the Lord and open to the ones I'm, I'm with, to learn how to care for them, to learn how to shepherd them according to God. So I think we'll probably conclude on that note, the note we started at the beginning, which is shepherding according to God.